Welcome to another episode of the Selfishness Project, where we explore the idea of selfishness. Today, I'm here with Cap. 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 Yeah, that's my my real name. Cap. It's spelled C-A-P-P. That's just um, what they gave me. Okay, that's a new one. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never heard that one before. Yeah. Well, good to meet you. Nice to meet you too, uh, Dan. Right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So, uh, I just saw you look like you were, uh, I don't know, maybe studying or uh, taking a study? Uh, programming uh, right oh. now. Yeah, I work for a small startup in uh, Sacramento, and um, it's just like an internship, and uh, I'm just programming their website right now, just the front end part. Okay, you're a programmer, so you're not a student here at the uh, No, I'm not a student here at UC, UC Davis, I'm actually a, a Davis local. And uh, I recently graduated from George Washington University over in D.C. Okay. And um, right now I'm I'm uh, looking for jobs. I have an internship right now, but I like I'm doing stuff like applying and doing interviews at this point. So exactly what you'd expect for a college grad. Yeah. Okay. Well, then to uh, connect all this to the topic of selfishness. Let me ask you about this whole pursuit that you're on of finding a yeah. job, um, working at a startup, uh, making money. Mm -hmm. Would you say that all of this activity is selfish because you're trying to do something that benefits yourself in some way? Yeah, I mean, in, to some degree because um, I'm, I'm interested in tech and not just because I'm interested in technology, but there's a, a huge draw to it because of the, the monetary uh, value that's in it, especially living in California or near the uh, you know, Silicon Valley area. Um, not only that, I'm also interested in, um, you'd probably find this interesting, in uh, blockchain and crypto technology, where um, we have now the technology to send value to people without having to have a third party uh, to trust in, like a bank or something to that degree. Are you familiar with um, that, like Bitcoin a bit. or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not so much the blockchain. I've heard of that, but yeah, I've, I know a little more about Bitcoin. Yeah, well, it's the technology behind uh, Bitcoin and, okay. and why it works, and it's the the main idea is that it's all uh, you know cryptographically secure um, using like getting industry standard encryption um, and the whole idea is that you don't have to necessarily trust people in order to send them transactions or to receive transactions from them the protocol will take care of all that thing for you okay yeah all right so there's some element of selfishness involved in pursuing this job and making money yeah we often hear in our, our culture that it's bad to be selfish it's true so how does that square with this activity you're engaged in does that is it a bad thing or is selfishness sometimes a good thing as in the, the kind of thing you're engaged in or yeah. any thoughts on that i mean i think when we talk about selfishness we usually mean it in the context of detracting it from somebody else like you're you're benefiting um while uh somebody else is being disadvantaged from whatever you're doing like or like literally stealing money for example like you're benefiting yourself at the detriment of somebody else uh, and that's what people typically think when they think of selfish uh, when they don't normally think about like 
oh, getting a high-paying job or shooting for a promotion or negotiating as something that's selfish, even though it kind of is. Like, if you're negotiating for a higher salary, you're taking more money away from the business, but that seems to be more acceptable in our society. So there are different things that, uh, I guess, maybe some examples are more obvious cases of selfishness yeah. than others, like the cases where you're talking about where you're doing something for yourself but to the detriment of others. others. Um, I guess that's maybe the paradigm case of what people think of yeah. when they think of something that's selfish. And then you can also kind of see how maybe just trying to get a raise or pursue a living at some job, make a profit as a business person, there's something selfish about that, but it's not as obviously selfish as yeah. the case where you're doing something to the detriment of others. Yeah, and I think another interesting aspect of it is that kind of like selfishness could, or, or really incentives in a way, like incentives are, are, is just another way of saying that, oh, people are going to be selfish, so they're going to want this thing, right? Like if you, uh, so like for example, oh, you're incentivizing somebody by paying them money. They're selfish enough to want money and therefore would be motivated by something. And so, in that regard, it's it's really more of a tool. It could be more used more of a tool than than anything else. Like, um, and and with that it comes like a double edged. Like if uh, like a knife is a tool, but it can also be used to hurt somebody, or it can be used to cook something really nice. You could think of selfishness in a similar way, where uh, it can be used to hurt somebody, but it can also actually be used to benefit somebody the same time or multiple people for that matter um, I, uh, I studied uh, business uh, in, in university and a big thing was uh, was uh, Adam Smith of course mm -hmm. and like the invisible hand and that kind of thing where uh, it, it's the self-interest of people that kind of moved uh, the economy forward and society forward in general and so when you think of it that way, it's really more of a tool than anything else. Yeah, I have, I've heard a bit about Adam Smith's view, so I only know, I haven't read him firsthand, um, but I know he had this view that if everyone pursues their private interest, mm -hmm. it ends up being the best for society yeah. as a whole. And, but I don't, I don't, I wonder what his evaluation was. Like, did he think private interest is kind of like a necessary evil? Like in order to get the, the, the best benefit for everybody, it yeah. so happens that we have to unfortunately pursue our private interest. It would be great if there was some other way to do it. I, I don't know what his view on that was. Maybe. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what his view on that was either. His thing was mostly of an observation um, when it comes to like the invisible hand. Like he's just looking like, okay, this is what's happening. Markets are choosing to do a certain thing, consumers are buying a certain thing. Uh, I don't know what his view on, uh, you know, selfish, selfishness in of itself, um, but uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, I want to go back to the issue of the evaluation. So if there are, are there, do you think maybe it's right to say that there are some cases of selfishness that are good and some that are bad. 
um, or is selfishness itself just like neutral? Like you gave the example of the knife, like you yeah. can use it for good purposes, yeah. for cooking or for murdering someone who's yes. innocent. Um, so the, the thing in itself is neither good nor bad, it's the use to which it's put, Yeah, which you can evaluate as good or bad. That's, that's kind of how I see it, to be honest. But I mean, it's again, it depends on the context because when people say selfish, they usually mean it in a negative context. But if you were actually to really observe it, you know, you uh, you would uh, you'd say it's actually pretty amoral, if anything. It's obviously. I mean, here's another thing that you know I've been racking my brain about is like, can you really blame somebody for being selfish? Like, they they are they only see the world through their own eyes. Um, if they were not to exist, then that would be tragic to themselves, obviously. And so, um, you can't, you shouldn't really be all that surprised if somebody acts selfishless or selfish in a way, because they only have that one life. And, um, if they don't give themselves the greatest benefit that they can, then wouldn't that be to their own de detriment in that case? Uh, yeah, it seems like it would. Um, it's interesting you, you say that. They, they only have one life. Yeah. Um, so why not make the most of it for yourself? Exactly. Even if it's at the detriment of others. Like, th that's kind of something that I've been thinking about, uh, you know, on my own time. And, and of course, I, I wouldn't do anything that would hurt anybody obviously uh, but just it, it is kind of weird to think that you can't you, you can't actually understand why somebody would do something selfish at the detriment of others like we can actually at, to some degree we can actually sympathize with that well one example I thought of where you might actually uh, endorse doing something to the detriment of others it's probably not what you had in mind but just like uh, taking an act of self-defense. If someone attacks you, yeah. then you might want to attack them back because yes. they initiated it. And Or to take um, like a, a larger scale example, like say you drop a bomb on a foreign nation that has been oh. attacking you, you're definitely doing harm to others. Um, let's say they were the aggressors. Yeah. They initiated this war. I mean, the, the perfect example would be like the, the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. I mean, those were all innocent lives in terms of like they're all civilians they, they weren't soldiers that were that were just being killed but but we viewed it as a necessary step in order to make japan surrender and it's like you know maybe you know was maybe that wasn't or maybe it was we don't know but uh definitely at the detriment of of those people who lost their lives yeah, and it, I mean, that could have actually saved more lives yeah, in I the long run. Too, yeah. I mean, you have an immediate uh, huge toll on, on life. But, you know, if the war had gone on for who knows how many more years, yeah. um, maybe in the end it actually reduced the number of innocent lives. Yeah, exactly. That were taken. Um, exactly. Okay. A lot of interesting stuff here. So the... Um, uh, I'm interested in going back to the evaluation issue, the idea that it's it's amoral or in itself. Yeah. Uh, selfishness is is neither good nor bad. Maybe it's like the knife. It's the use to which you put the selfishness. Yeah. We, yeah I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff 
that is kind of like that, that we, we generally have a, a negative feeling towards, but is actually amoral if you really think about it. Like, um, an interesting thing, you know what a jerry can is, right? Jerry can? A jerry no. can. Like, like, if you call AAA when, you, when your car runs out of gas, and, uh, and you're like, hey, I need, I need somebody to oh. fill it, they'll get a jerry can full of gasoline. Okay. But, but the, the, the strange thing is that the jerry can was invented by the Nazis during World hmm. War II because they needed to transport their gasoline and oil, obviously. And if you, if you immediately tie it to Nazis, obviously there's a negative sentiment to that. But we still use inventions that were created by Nazis because we realize they're just tools, even if they did use it for their war effort. Right. Um, or uh, another funny one is, uh, you know, the soda Fanta. Yeah. Also, also, well, yeah, it's also invented by Nazis because huh. the Coca-Cola was cut off from the American uh, division of Coca-Cola and they had to come up with their own recipes and so mm. and that, you know. But we, we don't have, we, we view them as amoral, you know. We, we view those as amoral until, you know, you point it out and people are like, oh, I guess, I guess it is totally fine if I use something that was invented by Nazis, uh-huh. you know, even though they were, you know, awful. Yeah, and another thing this discussion reminds me of is the the phrase we sometimes hear: uh, "Guns don't kill people; people, people kill, kill people." people. Yeah, 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 it's like. So maybe another way of putting this is like, an object in itself, it doesn't have intrinsic value yeah. one way or the other. Yeah, it's it's contextualized. Um, I guess selfishness is not an object in the way that a knife is or yeah. a jerry can is. So, but maybe there's still some kind of analogy. That's here. what I. That's what I think it is. Okay. Uh, that's what, like, generally, it's it's. I think you're total. You are hitting on something on how there is this general, uh, you know, dislike, for lack of a better term, for for the idea of self-interest or selfishness in this, in this case, because. Uh, because yeah, it's, it's so far it's, it's only really been used in contexts of, uh, of you know, negative contexts, as opposed to something that is that can just be observed and uh, and, and evaluated to be somewhat neutral, or is completely neutral. Yeah, that's. Yeah. It's interesting to wonder like why. Or I find it interesting to wonder why is that like why is it that this thing, if it's right to say that in itself it's just kind of neutral, like a knife is, why is it that it came to have this predominantly negative? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to bet that there's a, a historical reasoning for that. I think uh, it might be a, a cultural thing. I think the United States is heavily influenced by like Puritan um, ideas because, you know, they were like the first people to uh, settle in the United States. We have lots of roots in, you know, Puritanism and stuff like that. Of course, I'm no expert, but that's what would be my guess, because they were very uh, strict on uh, those uh, values of, you know, um, being useful for the community and uh, to not be selfish, obviously. Like, greed is one of the seven deadly sins, some stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's definitely there's the religious tradition yeah. of, or heritage of the West, um, I think, is uh, a big factor in this. And, yeah. and selfishness is, is, you know, religions preach, don't be selfish, be altruistic. Mm. 
live for your neighbor, um, love thy enemy, even not even yeah. your neighbor, but even someone who is attacking you. Uh, so maybe turn the other cheek. Turn the other yeah. cheek. So, yeah, I think religion, the influence of that could explain why selfishness has taken on such a negative connotation. Um, I didn't then wonder, well, like, why, why would religion have this beef against selfishness? Why, why don't they like selfishness? Yeah. Um, well, there's there's a whole other thing for that. You, you know, I mean, you ought to be familiar with Nietzsche, right? A little bit. Well, his idea was that uh, religion, like Christianity, has sort of evolved to be... Um, uh, something that euphemizes uh, what would other otherwise be a negative trait, and what what I mean by that is, for example, like turning the other tr the other cheek. Like you could argue that that's actually kind of weak if you allow something terrible to happen to you and then you open yourself up to let it happen again. That's sort of uh, that is you might consider that to be stupid or weak or whatever, um, but. For whatever reason, the Christian religion uh, is trying to make that into something virtuous. And Nietzsche hated Christianity for, for some of those reasons. But um, yeah, it's just uh, that's what he would probably say about it. So the uh, Christianity was turning what a defect of some sort yeah. in, in um, making it a virtue. Yes. So that's his perspective. I, yeah, yeah. So. Then I guess that pushes the question back, like why would they want to do that? Is like the the people, maybe the inventors of the religion, had these defects themselves, and I think that was like <laughs> might have been his theory, like you know, just it was a bunch of you know people that didn't know how to defend themselves decided to make it virtuous to not defend yourself. And, uh, um, again, this is not necessarily my perspective, but that's yeah. what he would say. So maybe on on his view, it was kind of self-serving in a way. Yeah. To, to preach selfless, <laughs> selflessness and to denounce selfishness. That's um, ironically. That, I think you did. Yeah, you did touch on some irony right there. Yeah. Um, but I guess you know, it, they they get away with it or try to get away with it by not making that explicit. Um, I guess if if they were asked like why why do you damn selfishness? Why do you why do you extol selflessness as a virtue? What would they say to that? If, if they're not going to be open about their motive, assuming it is their motive that, oh, well, I just have these defects and I'm going to rationalize them so I don't feel as bad as, about myself as I otherwise would. Yeah. What are they going to say if asked, like, why do you have this view about selfishness? Yeah. Maybe I should just go to one of these people. Like, I'll talk to some uh, religious people who have this view. Uh, that would be that'd be a smart move, I'd say. That'd be a good, interesting conversation. Yeah, I yeah. haven't had one of these conversations with. Uh, well, actually, I did go to uh, BYU once. So oh, really? I talked to some some Mormons. Um, I didn't ask this particular question though. But I think that'd have been really interesting to to talk to Norm Mormons about this because I feel like if anybody, they they would probably have the the most negative views of selfishness. Well, I don't know, but that's what, that would be my assumption. Why well, I did talk, interview one uh, former Mormon mm. once, and he said that uh, within Christianity, Mormonism actually has a bit more individualism. Oh, really? Than other denominations, which, um, like, you have responsibility for your own sins instead of taking on 
or being responsible for someone else's sins. Although in the end, I think he did say there was a collective responsibility. Like Jesus bore our sins. Yeah, and also original um, sin. Like there's original would, sin. Yeah. But there was something he was telling me in the interview. I, I don't remember exactly what, but he was saying there's some elements of greater individuality in Mormonism as compared to other denominations, which might have something to do with its American heritage. Yeah. America being a more you know, self-interested nation than others with its, you know, in the Declaration of Independence, there's this line about pursuing your own happiness is like one of our, our uh, fundamental rights. Yeah. Well, the pursuit of happiness is a kind of self-interested totally. activity. Um, <laughs> yeah, what so if you get happy when other people are sad or, you know? <laughs> so maybe the Mormon religion being born in America is somewhat bore the stamp of America. Not totally. I mean, being part of Christianity, it had a large elements of anti-selfishness still but maybe it's to a lesser degree yeah i mean i think you're you, you're right on that especially yeah in terms of the u.s like i think we are like hyper individualized compared to other uh countries who uh do have or do have this culture of a more of a collective mindset um you know whether that was you know historically part of their culture or not like what i'm thinking of is like china for example which is a, the the my understanding is that they have a very strong collective uh like ideology on, on how they view themselves and and um on how they have to do things for the good of the nation as a whole where here you know we're kind of more we're more individualistic in that sense and that and that we're more willing to to criticize and to um and to dislike our, you know our, our own country and, and things like that i mean in my opinion yeah we're certainly allowed to to criticize well, our country yeah, that's, more that's so. a good point yes um, you're right you're right there, you know it could be lots of people who are unhappy with their situation in other countries but you know if they speak up they will get uh, crushed or sure, sure, sure. jailed or. But uh, and and but also by the same token, you know, if if they don't if they have a lack of rights and, and the government has so much control, then it can uh, in their education system really indoctrinate people and make them really uh, nationalistic, uh, more so than uh, than we do in, in the United States. Yeah, I, I think you're right that America is more individualistic than other countries. Um, like, thinking when you mentioned China, I was thinking like Asian cultures. They they make a they put a high value on family. Mm. I found yeah, especially like <laughs> Korean cultures. And, yeah, yeah, and you're supposed to have this deferential attitude towards the parents and um, be very obedient to mm -hmm. their desires. I, I found a lot of students here. I, I've been a, a graduate student uh, at UC Davis. Sometimes I'll hear that students, they, they major, they choose the major they want, they, they major in because their parents want them. Mm. Not because they themselves yep. desire this major, but they feel they have this obligation to do what their parents would like them to do. Yeah, I mean, I think I even heard of like a statistic that like the main motivator of, of many uh, Asian students is like the fear of, of their parents getting mad at them uh, if they don't get good grades or, or things like that. Um, whereas, you know, in, in, here in the U.S., uh, as, as I get older, like, you know, I'm out of college and stuff, and it has, as I've gotten older, the, the 
relationship with me and my parents has, has become more egalitarian, uh, you know, as the years go on, even to the point where they say, hey, you know, if, if you have advice to give us, like whether it's about money or, or whatever, like we're totally uh, open to hear it. And, and it, does, it doesn't feel like there's a, of course there is a little bit, but there isn't as much of a, of a hierarchical uh, thing going on, at, at least in the household uh, right now. Um, I can't say what it's like for like Korean families, but what I can say is that like Korean businesses are very hierarchical and and um, are very militaristic in a way. You have to wear suit tie every single day. Every single time the president walks in, you have to stand up. Um, things like that. Uh, the as for families, I I don't know, but I'm assuming that there is a bit of a more structure to it mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, there's the I was also like, these images of like emperors on the yeah on the in every room and and uh, there's some countries like where the I don't know if it's Iran the Shah there's there's images of him mm. like all over the place um, Anyways, uh, well, I mean, in the United States, we you know we have pictures of, of the president in, in most government buildings. That's kind of how we do it too. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking of like how we treat our leaders versus how they treat their leaders. Mm -hmm. Like like we were saying before, we're free to speak up in this country. Totally. Like, um, you know, have a whole Saturday Night Live skit about the president um, mocking his mannerisms or yeah, or, totally. or whatever. Whereas in other countries. I suspect you're not as free to do that. You have oh, to no, no. Um, have a more reverential attitude, and part of that, I think, is you know displaying their 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 visages all over the place um, because they are so important. And yeah, we have some of that in America, yeah. but to the degree that they have it in other countries, I suspect not as much. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like uh, this is an extreme example, but North Korea. Yeah, he, he's viewed. Kim Jong-un is viewed as a deity, basically. Like, they can't imagine um, ever criticizing him. But that's because it's they're so heavily indoctrinated into believing that. Or, like, they believe that when he was a kid, he got a four and four, a hole-in-one with one swing the first time he ever played golf. Or something, stuff, ridiculous stuff like that, where the first time he shot a gun, he got a bullseye every single time. Um, things like that, yeah. Basically, basically a god. Uh -huh. um, there's one other thought I had going back to the religious stuff. Um, the uh, it was something about the the afterlife. Um, yeah, I'm forgetting exactly what the connection was. But like why? Or like religion and why you should be like the or like the seven deadly sins or things like that. Yeah, like they're I, working towards the afterlife. I think it was. Oh, oh, I remember now. It was the point about you only have one life to mm. live, so you might as well live it for yourself, make the most of it for yourself. Yeah. But in religion, you don't have one life yeah. to live. <laughs> it goes yeah. on. Yeah. So maybe that's part of the way that religious leaders or teachings or scripts get people to sign on to this right. idea of selflessness because if people hold on to the hope that 
there's going to be eternity after my death. And yeah. this life, it doesn't matter so much if I'm selfless. Yeah, if I turn the other cheek or if I give my money away. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. So, in a way, a religion is appealing to people's self-interest because they're telling you, you know, things will be better in the afterlife. If you're a good boy or a good girl, yeah. um, in this life, give up, you know, turn the other cheek, give away your riches. Totally. Um, you'll be rewarded yeah. in the next life. So it's still appealing to their self-interest, but it's, you know, beyond the grave. That's a really good point. Uh, and I think that that really also explains why religions are basically called belief systems because it's a system that has to work together in order to perpetuate like okay like if somebody asks why would I do something that's outside of my self-interest it's like well because you don't have one life you have two and that's why it, you know yeah uh, it fits in together they are they're able to respond each question with another question which ends up being oh you will be rewarded in heaven or because God said so or whatever so, yeah. yeah so there's a kind of internal logic to their exactly to their view um, so it is okay to be selfish but you have to be very very long-range about your selfishness and include your afterlife there's another what... irony yeah there's more irony there because you're not really being altruistic if you believe that you're gonna be rewarded in heaven for eternity. yeah if your motive for acting selfless in this life is so that yeah. you can be rewarded selfishly <laughs> yes. in the next yes then it's is it really selfish i mean they even say the roads are paved with gold you know uh, in heaven it's like well why <laughs> why why is it paved, paved with gold isn't wouldn't gold be worthless up there you know what's the point of that <laughs> i think uh kant emmanuel kant uh, -huh. uh he had a a more consistent view mm. uh where he thought you should be good uh for its own sake not because of any end it brings so he he doesn't hold out heaven as a carrot yeah. uh, to get people to act in a certain way. He just says you have this duty and you have to do your duty because it's your duty. Right. There's no uh, reward motivation involved at all. Well, I've heard, yeah, I've heard it phrased like that. I've also heard like it's um, you have to perform, you have to act in a way that would be acceptable, that you would find acceptable in any scenario. like. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? The like, universalizability principle. Yeah, right? Is that what that is? Yeah, like, uh, oh, I steal money from you. Well, I wouldn't think it was okay if you stole money from me, so I shouldn't do that. Is right. It, like, that's the idea. But the, I think one of the problems with that is, uh, like, for example, like lying. Like, there are scenarios where lying is okay. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, does that mean you should lie and, and for somebody else's detriment? Like, that wouldn't... Um, I wouldn't hold up or like or, no 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 I don't that's not the argument the argument is Kant will say oh you shouldn't lie because you wouldn't want somebody to lie to you right uh, but if you were that's kind of like the golden rule when you put it that way <laughs> right it is kind of like the golden rule but if you're like you know uh, uh, if you have to lie like to if you're somebody who was uh, you know keeping Jews in their attic in World War II and you had to lie to the Nazis, you know, you would do that, and that's good, right? But he not, would say that. Well, or, no, no, he wouldn't. Okay, yeah, oh, well, that's, that's my, I, that's my, yeah, that's my understanding is that he wouldn't. Yeah, that's he my would, understanding. He would too. argue that Even no, then. you should never lie ever, right? In any, under any circumstance. The categorical imperative. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know all the fancy words, but I get the the gist of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. As, so. to the, as opposed to the hypothetical imperative, the if-then, <laughs> if you're in such and circumstance, like you have Jews in the attic mm -hmm. and the Nazis coming, then it's okay. Yeah. He says no, categorically, in <laughs> yeah. any circumstance, there's no if-then about it. Ah, okay. So it's called the categorical imperative. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it sounds like you've, you've got some background in philosophy reading. You've read Nietzsche. I've, uh, I've taken mm. uh, one philosophy course, and that's okay. it. And I've been regularly interested in, in stuff. In my business ethics class, they, she mentioned, uh, my professor mentioned uh, Kant a lot. Uh, and uh, in my philosophy class, they mentioned Nietzsche a lot. So that's pretty much my two basic uh, you know, philosophy things that I understand. Gotcha. Uh, we also touched on like Anselm's ontological argument, like if there's a god or whatever, stuff like that. Uh -huh. yeah. Did you ever come across Ayn Rand? Uh, I am familiar with Ayn Rand. Uh, I've never read any of her books, but I'm decently familiar with uh, with the idea that uh, yeah, it's like selfishness can actually be good uh, is my basic understanding. Uh, but I'm I'm happy to hear more. <laughs> oh, well, uh, we could go on all day about that. That's she's actually what got me interested in this topic. Um, I read her, her book, The Virtue of Selfishness, mm -hmm. many years ago, um, along with all her other nonfiction, and then later I read her fiction, and I was, I was uh, blown away by it. I, was, I found it very compelling. Mm -hmm. I thought she had very good arguments for her views. Sure. Yeah. Um, controversial though they are, yeah. um, I thought they made sense. So that's, that's a big reason behind why I'm doing this project, because I think she had a lot of... Um, important valuable things to say about ethics mm -hmm. and selfishness and I want to help other people become aware of those ideas totally. and uh, understand what what she had to say about them and then hopefully everyone's lives will go better and the world will be a better place yeah and this is pretty much the way to do it like uh, if you if you actually talk to people about it they, they would be more open to, to having their mind change as opposed to just seeing a comment on YouTube saying oh yeah you know what I mean there's there's so much uh, distortion out there yeah. on the internet. Yeah. I mean, uh, in particular, I know about Ayn Rand. I, I have these Google alerts that I get in my emails every day for the term Ayn Rand, whatever she pops up in the news. And mm -hmm. there's all these um, straw man characterizations sure. of what her views are. So definitely um, with her in, in particular, I know you got to go to the source if you really want to understand what her view is about. Mm -hmm. um, read her own writings uh, there's there's good secondary material out there but obviously nothing compares to actually reading the author herself um, uh, can I just point one thing out though she she was uh, she wasn't born in like the Soviet Union right well she was born in Russia before it was the Soviet Union oh, really? in 1905 oh, wow. and she actually was in Russia when the Bolsheviks took over mm. in 1917 okay. the October Revolution um, and she was like, she lived on the square where the first shots of the revolution were fired. Whoa. And she, she heard it or saw it. Um, and it was only, and she remained living in under the then Soviet Union uh, for several more years until 1926. So close to 10 years. And then she immigrated to the U.S. Yeah. And never went back. Right. And, but, and that's kind of what I was kind of touching on because... Uh, what, what I've noticed from at least my personal experience is that people who like moved away from like the Soviet Union or China or Cuba or Ethiopia while it was under communist rule, 
they have like the strongest they t based from my experience have the strongest opinions like towards what their government towards their government like they like obviously Ayn Rand hated the Soviet Union right and did not uh, like what they were doing and said no it's the opposite we have to have hyper individualism instead right and and I've had like a, or my girlfriend had a professor who was from Ethiopia and just hated the communists um, and, and things like that or people the protesters in Hong Kong hated the communists even though in of itself it's not necessarily communism but you know I just thought that was interesting that I think maybe her living in the Soviet Union informed her views on that. Yeah, you definitely get a first-hand understanding of what it's like to live under communism. Yeah. You're not just reading a theoretical account of you know, some utopia dream world, but you see what happens when these ideas are put into practice. Of course, many people will say, well, they didn't practice it right. Real communism would work out <laughs> <Of> great. <course. laughs> um, it just happens to always be distorted wherever it's tried. It's not real communism. We still haven't. We're waiting to see what that would look like. So I'm curious what you what you think about this on that. How, you know, communism. It could be argued that communism relies heavily on the goodness of uh, of its leaders, of like the benevolence of their leaders, because they have to centralize all this power in order to distribute, you know, the the means of production equally, and um, and it it's states that like oh you have to kind of uh give all this power to the government and we're just gonna hope that they're gonna be benevolent with it whereas you know if you think of you know capitalism it kind of relies on the greed it kind of relies on the fact that people are going to be selfish mm. but communism relies on the opposite relies on people to be uh, benevolent with their power or at least the dictator. The dictator. The, the leader. Yeah. Who, yeah, so what's going on there? Uh, is it that in, in capitalism it's like system-wide selfishness? Yeah. Or um, whereas, well, you are raising like benevolence. So it, well, not, not, maybe I shouldn't have said selfishness there, but you're saying... So in, in a communist system, the only way for it to work out, if it's going to work out at all, is for the leaders of it to be benevolent people. Or like well to not be greedy and to not, not be greedy. You know what I mean? Not be self-interested, really. Okay. Because uh, they have all this control. I see. So you know whereas I mean? in capitalism, they're counting on everyone <laughs> yes. to be self-interested <laughs> yeah. and that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting contrast. Um, but you th do you think that's accurate? As a description yeah. of... Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so one question is, is, so is the idea that people think that communism will work out if, if the leaders are selfless and they're counting yeah. on them to be... I mean, is that what people think in general, that it'll work out if that's the case or I mean one thing that's coming to mind is a lot of isn't there a lot of talk about people justifying communism on the grounds that it better uh, promotes equality mm. in capitalism there's these huge disparities in wealth um, wealth gaps income inequality um, whereas in communism things are more egalitarian mm -hmm. and isn't that what we want we want 
people to be equal. Yeah. And I think there's kind of an equivocation going on there. In a sense, we do want people to be equal, but what sense exactly is that? Equal before the law, meaning you have equal rights, you will, everyone, it will be, like, it doesn't matter whether you're famous and rich. If you commit a murder, mm -hmm. you're going to jail, yeah. and you'll maybe be executed. You don't get off the hook because you're, you have this very prestigious position. So you're equal before the law in that sense, but we're not equal in America or in a capitalist system in terms of um, the results. So some people, of your efforts or your label, labor, some people might work much harder than others. Some people could be lazy uh, uh, couch potatoes who, who don't put forth any effort. And the results are going to be very different for the person who's industrious, hardworking, yeah. and the person who's, who's a lazy bum. Um, and we reward in a capitalist system the person who does work. So there we have inequality, but it's a justifiable kind of inequality in my view and i think yeah. um, many people's view who support capitalism they say yeah that's a good kind of it would be it would be unjust for it to be the reverse sure. to yeah. have to equalize their incomes despite the fact that their the, the amount of effort and work they put in was unequal yeah. let alone to reverse the incomes um, and take from those have who have done the most work and give it all um, that would be you know horrendous injustice um, on you know I, I what I think is a reasonable view of justice so there is we I think it's important to distinguish these senses of equality some are good in my view some are not good and in a in a communist system I think it in a way it's it's the reverse there's equal equal outcome regardless of how much effort you put in um, but there's not equality before the law. Um, I mean, it's aren't they notoriously corrupt? If totally. You can buy off. Um, yeah. If you have en enough wealth and prestige, you can pay off the authorities and you get off scot-free no matter what you've done. Yeah. This is this is the the equality versus equity question, right? Like equity being the outcomes and equality being the opportunity. Like, uh, you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I have a. S a sense of what you're getting on there. I think even in terms of opportunity, um, even that is reasonably not going to be equal. Not It's not just the outcomes are gonna be not equal. Like, take two people who work equally hard, mm -hmm. but one is just like innately more gifted. Yeah. Um, like, or has innately more physical potential for a certain action, like LeBron James, let's say. You know, yeah. he, he grows to be this huge, um, strong man, which makes him very, uh, it gives him a lot, a lot of advantage over someone who, you know, he's tiny and not that big for doing well at basketball. Yeah. And they both might equally work hard at basketball, but just because of their genetic inheritance one is going to have a much greater advantage than the other yeah so they don't have equal opportunities when it comes to succeeding in the NBA um, should we equalize that how are we going to do that yeah. I mean do we do we break LeBron James's arms yeah. and legs to make him 
because um, you can't do anything to make the other guy have the, no matter what you do to the other guy, you're not going to make him have the same potential as LeBron James. So all you can do is bring LeBron James down. Um, this is an example that Yaron um, Brooks sometimes uses. He's the, uh, he was the uh, head of the Ayn Rand Institute. He's, he's still involved on the chairman of their board of directors. He gives a lot of talks um, about uh, Ayn Rand's moral and ethical theories. And he gives this example. He wrote a book on this issue of income inequality, yeah. and to, to make the ideas very vivid and concrete, um, he gives this example of having to like break LeBron James's arms in order to equalize. Oh, he did actually use that example. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something very very close to that. So, yeah, I think there are, that's another sense in which there are going to be inequalities. Now, maybe LeBron James lacks some uh, characteristics that the, the small puny guy has. Sure which yeah. give the, the puny guy a huge advantage in other areas. So what are we going to do now? Uh, equalize them again and destroy his? Yeah. So I think there, there are certain things to where um, we should just, uh, it, or it makes sense to just um, embrace or accept these inequalities and focus on getting rid of the, uh, other kinds of inequalities like inequality before the law. That's really the kind but I think it's important right. to um, uh, make sure don't exist. Yeah. But there are other kinds. I mean, you and I are unequal in innumerable ways, different uh, totally. heights, different totally. backgrounds. But I don't think it's... So no matter what you do, people are not going to be the same. Even identical twins are going to have some no. kinds of differences um, if only you know after you know, the way they develop. Um, <clears throat> so... I think instead of, we shouldn't obsess over these kinds of inequalities. We should just accept and make the most of whatever we're given just innately through our genes um, and not like, spend our whole lives bemoaning that, make the most of what we are given. And then I think that, that will make things go best overall, um, both for yourself. You're not living your whole life resentful. Um, and also as a society, I think if, if we, if we treat people as equal before the law, um, it's a much more benevolent place to live. It, it's going to attract people from all over the world. Anyone from all over the world is going to know. And I think this is why millions of America, uh, of immigrants rushed to America. It wasn't because they were guaranteed some automatic income or job. Quite the contrary. They... They knew nothing was guaranteed except freedom. This was the land of uh, liberty, uh, and which is why you know the Statue of Liberty is such a great symbol. That's why people were coming here. They knew they had, they were going to be equal before the law, and um, they could just make the most of their lives instead of having to live for you know the states and whatever yeah. European country they came from. I, yeah, the, there's a, a thing that I want to point out that kind of ties back into self-interest and with, and with the system that we have and um, like for example uh, you know it, it may not be fair uh, for you know certain people to have uh, really good advantages and and to excel in terms of like making money for example um, but uh, people's self-interest does provide, uh, interestingly enough, does provide uh, a counterbalance to that to a degree. Like, for example, um, like people, if, if we were to run out of like, uh, um, 
like plumbers tomorrow, the 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 price of of of, of a plumber would become exceedingly high, right? And based on people's self-interest, they'd be willing to uh, uh, do a job that they wouldn't other, otherwise care for uh, in order to make uh, this, you know, a high amount of money. Mm -hmm. So it may not be fair necessarily for, you know, for me, for example, to get into the, t the tech industry and not put in as much effort as a plumber, in, uh, especially in terms of output, because I may be getting paid more but if the demand were to all, all of a sudden if people were just all of a sudden stop being plumbers then that would sh shoot up their uh, uh, you know uh, value and then people would start to flood into there right so uh, just another tie into the self-interest thing That's yeah it. so when the when a, when a good becomes scarce yes then the the price of it increases um so when the supply is lower yeah um, i mean so there is a there's like a you know a balance to it like self-interest does provide a balance in, in in a way in a sense yeah so people find it's it's what wouldn't have been to their self-interest become could become yes. more to their self-interest you know as um in such a circumstance exactly uh yeah it's that's i think one of um the nice things about a free market is when you have these kind of imbalances, if for some reason um, there's a uh, vast diminishing of some good, there becomes an economic incentive. The, the price mechanism is allowed to function, totally. which can help fill the need. So plumbers come, come back into existence. Yeah. yeah. And you're kind of seeing that with, uh, with computer science uh, in, in this field, that there's a huge demand. Um, and so they're starting to not only be more people, you know, flooding into it, but also uh, services around uh, entering like the tech field. Like there are more uh, uh, online courses that you can take for technology to learn how to program or, or uh, uh, things like this um, because there's just su such a high need for it. But even so, people who are interested in education will now have a... Uh, a raise in salaries because now they're educating others uh, in technology or they're able to distribute uh, online courses and things like that. Interestingly enough, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, beautiful how the market works. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, I, I, there's all this uh, new job creation. I mean, as um, I was thinking of if whether there's a tie-in to like this, um, this Luddite view of let's let's not let the robots take our jobs. Oh yeah. Um, whenever there's a something becomes automated, um, the computers, the whole computer industry has automated a lot of what was previously done manually. Yeah. Um, but now there's this whole industry of servicing computers, and we need computer programmers yeah. and educators and teach people how to do computer science. Totally. Um, and it just makes you know it's kind of. A, there's no shortage of ways to make life go better. Mm. <laughs> Things can always be better. And um, uh, I guess the goal is not just to work as an end in itself, but to, to work smartly. So if you can get a computer to do a job rather than a human, why not do that? Save the resources for something that the human is uniquely capable of doing. Yeah. Uh, it'll probably be more enjoyable. Well, then I'm uh, curious about, like, your view then on, because, you know, automation is a, a pretty big deal and it's only getting better. 
like, uh, you know, have you heard of the candidate uh, Andrew Yang? Yes. And so I'm curious what you think about his ideas in terms of like, okay, automation is coming. It's going to get a lot of people out of jobs. Now we have to give them a thousand dollars a month. Oh, yeah. yeah. What do you think of that? Universal basic. Universal basic income. income yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm. I'm opposed to universal basic income if this just means we're going to give everyone a certain amount no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I haven't thought this through. I, sure. I don't want to make like a snap judgment sure, about sure. this <laughs> big policy <laughs> but issue. But it, it does apply um, into selfishness because we're giving people money and like, are, are they going to be selfish with that? Are they just going to spend it on crap that they don't need? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a concern, that's a concern yeah. but also... Um, a concern that comes to my mind is like, where is this money going to come from? And this is the case with any government oh, program. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Um, wouldn't it be great if everyone had free education? <laughs> totally. Free, free college tuition. Yeah. Well, is there really such a thing? I mean, who's going to pay for that? I mean, it doesn't just, it's not like air. Um, it doesn't just grow on trees. Someone's got to provide the education. Yeah. So we've got to pay the, uh, professors i mean for every if a vast increase in people are gonna there's gonna be a vast increase in people going to college then we're gonna need many more professors yeah. or at least administrators to run the thing and we're, that's all gonna have to be financed somehow yeah. so some people are gonna have to pay for the increase in college or medicare or you know whatever other public education um, all the government programs they have to be paid for and there's always this issue of do you have to violate people's rights in order to fund these things like through, through forcing people to pay through taxes they don't pay the taxes they're gonna get a knock on their door at some point with people who probably have weapons with them yeah. in case they are not obedient um, they can haul them off to jail. Um, and is that right? I, I don't think it is. I think um, people should be able to do what they want with the money that they earn. It's theirs to use and dispose of free and clear. So if you, if to implement like a universal basic income, that means you have to forcibly take away um, what other people have earned, I think that's wrong. Yeah. So what, whatever the program is, whether it's to provide some people with some minimum level of income or minimum level of education, if that comes by forcing someone at, you know, with the threat of force, yeah. um, that seems wrong to me. No such thing as a free lunch. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Because yeah. And even if we did, even if we did have free college, it wouldn't be free. It's uh, it'd be prepaid from taxes. Basically. Yeah. So yeah, just, that's just a way to market it really. Yeah, in my opinion. Now, I, I thought of something I was I was just talking a minute ago about like we put these people into office. Yeah. So, in a sense, are we choosing to um, give them the power to make these decisions? Like they can implement this universal basic income or Medicare or um, public education. Since we voted for these people and we. You know, we keep voting them into office. It's not like there's um, social security is another example. It's been here for decades, so it's not like there's been this huge outcry to get rid of this. So, 
have we in a sense lost the right to um, call for the repeal or the abolishment of these programs since we put them we voted for people who implement them and we continue to vote for them how it's it's kind of a tricky case like totally. if you want to if you favor a purely free market system where there aren't these kinds of government programs how do we scale that back in a way that's consistent with the fact that we we voted them in yeah. or at least a majority or some of us voted them in um, it's like we want it but we don't want it what's going on there yeah I mean well I think some of us want it some of us don't it comes well it comes from like a it's a compromise really what well, the system we have is just a massive compromise between uh, you know the people's control and, and being efficient really because uh, you know at one point in history I think uh, you know in Greece at some point they had direct democracy yeah and direct democracy only lasted for 50 years as opposed to dynasties where one person is ruling which lasts for thousands of years um, so it, it one one may seem more fair because everyone you know has uh, has a voice and, and that voice carries a lot of weight but one is significantly more efficient and and, uh, and able to get things done uh, and maintain uh, power we're, we're not a direct democracy by any means. We're, you could argue that we're not even a democracy, we're a republic, which is inherently democratic, but democracy doesn't say the full, doesn't give us the full picture. It's, it's a republic. We're voting in represent, re representatives to make these decisions for us because I'd, I'd be so annoyed if I had to worry about every single education bill that was happening, you know, right. or, or had, had to write it or whatever. It's, uh, I think it's just, that's just a result of us making a compromise, giving up some control from, from us as individuals to somebody else so that uh, we don't have to worry about those, uh, those issues. Yeah. Um, speaking of direct bureaucracy, I think that like, even in that kind of system, there can be, I mean, Socrates comes to mind. If you know about this, Socrates was, he was voted uh, to to death because he was um, causing a havoc around oh, right. Athens by he was corrupting the youth that was the charge okay by he was going around um, the marketplace um, uh, spreading his um, his ideas or well he claimed to not know anything so I don't know that he had ideas to spread but he was challenging the views that the ideas that other people held and some some people in society with clouts um, wanted to put it into it and they brought him to trial and there was a vote by the Athenian assembly uh, to put him to death and uh, he complied with that he he drank hemlock oh. uh, he, he had an opportunity to escape in at least uh, according to one of the the dialogues that by Plato that tells the story of Socrates but um, he was, at least legally, he was bound to, to um, abide by the law, and they sentenced, sentenced him to death, and he thought it would be unjust to obey what the city wanted, um, given that he had the opportunity to leave the city, he could have, uh, um, what's the word, exiled himself, but he chose not to, he chose to remain, so he thought he had granted some kind of tacit consent. Um, by remaining to abide by whatever sentencing he was was handed down to him, and so he he eventually um, he abided by it. He stuck by his word, and he 
That's, he killed himself. So, like, so the, obviously the Socratic method comes from Socrates, yes. right? And is that why he was killed? Because he kept asking a bunch of questions, challenging people? Because that's, that was the idea, right? Like, you just keep asking questions, challenging somebody, and see if they, you know, if it holds up to scrutiny. Yeah, so, right. it, it, well, I don't... At least the people who sentenced him wouldn't have said it was the Socratic method per se. Yeah. It's like, we're against asking questions, but I think he was making people look bad. He was exposing their ignorance, okay. their their foolishness, yeah. um, or maybe they're exposing their ignorance. And uh, some people didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And by the system they had, they were allowed to vote him to death. Direct democracy. And it's, that was direct democracy, like, just everybody said, yeah, let's let's get rid of this guy. Or at least whoever attended the Athenian assembly. Ah. So maybe that was just males sure. um, with a certain level of property. I'm not okay. sure exactly. But it, it wasn't like our system where we vote for representatives um, and then they remotely vote. Bills, yeah. um, votes. Uh, so... To be fair, the Socratic method can get kind of annoying, so kind of simple. <laughs> but hopefully, kidding. you would at least have the freedom to walk away if you didn't like Socrates, yeah. instead of you know having to like you know uh, put him in jail or kill him. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, we can imagine a system that was direct democracy, where every single individual, women, men and women yeah. of any level of property, are allowed to vote. Um, but is that a good system? Uh, without any limits on it. Should there be limits on democracy such that if a majority doesn't like a minority Mm. for certain things, like asking questions um, that expose people's ignorance, um, should should certain things be allowed whether or not you like them? And even if a majority dislikes them, should they not have the right to put a stop to it? I I, I think that's that's a reasonable... uh, that's a good system of governments. Um, sometimes the minority is right. <laughs> yeah. The majority is wrong. Totally. Um, and I think this is what you know, the Bill of Rights is for, in part, is to protect minorities, like freedom of speech. Um, if you have an unpopular viewpoint, the First Amendment gives you a right to express that viewpoint, even if other people don't agree or hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that you're in a minority doesn't give anyone the right to silence you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, sometimes, as I said, the minority is right and, um, the majority, uh, could be wrong. I mean, it used to be that the majority thought the earth was flat. Totally. (laughs) Um, now it's just a minority, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, take the, the Catholic church. They had, there was a majority view that the that the sun went around the earth instead of yeah. the earth going around the sun. So should, should the majority view have, be able to um, you know, enforce their view and silence anyone who has a contrary view as they tried to do with Galileo? Sure. Um, or is it good to you know, protect individuals' rights to express themselves even if it's a minority unpopular viewpoint? Um, it seems to me that it is a good thing to put certain limits or protections for individuals um, protections from other individuals. Uh, so I don't think that pure democracy, if that just means majority rule, yeah. is a good thing. There should be limits on majority rule. Um, because sometimes the minority is right. And we don't want to be 
I mean, what if you don't want your 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 life to be at the mercy of uh, a majority voting away your rights? What if a majority votes to enslave a minority? Like yeah. the, the 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 Nazis, they voted to you know exterminate the Jews. The Jews yeah. were a minority in Germany, and the, the Nazis thought that you know it would be better for their society if, yeah. without the Jews. So, yeah. thoughts going on here? <laughs> I know. Um, I was about, just about to say something I totally um, forgot. Oh, man. I, I lost it. Was oh, it, uh, can you remember the general area? Was I think like... it was uh, before you mentioned the Nazis, something about, oh, just that, yes, the majority rule, or you could also argue mob rule, like yeah. when that happens, is super problematic. If you just go online and look at any debate, uh, you know, in the comments of like YouTube or, or anything, just the it's staggering how many you know ignorant uh, comments there are or things that people are so confident in saying that is totally inaccurate or people believe things that are totally inaccurate um we if you take that into account yeah we really can't trust the majority to to always do what's right typically you know sometimes they they do and sometimes it makes sense but man it's um yeah, like obviously, like the Nazis or or people believing that the world is flat. It's uh, yeah, usually sometimes ignorance wins when it comes to when it comes to the majority. Yeah, another example that just came to mind is uh, climate change. Yep. yep. So this is a view where you you always hear this statistic: ninety-seven percent of scientists uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. say that there's there's man-made global warming or sure. something like that and um there like it are is the minority does the minority have freedom to express that viewpoint is that freedom being squelched i mean i i th this is just an area where i worry about like um I think it's very important to have freedom of speech. I mean, there it could be that there's um, political motivations. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this whole issue of global warming and climate change, but I'm concerned that um, some people use it as a... It's been a... I think it should be a scientific issue, yes. whether or not there's global warming, but it's been very politicized, and the government is funding all of this university research um, so how objective is it um, I've heard that there are professors I think even some tenured professors who are afraid of speaking up against the orthodox position on on these environmental issues because they know that their government grants are going to be cut back if they don't toe the line um, so I think this is, this is an issue where, by the way, Alex Epstein, he's done a lot of work on this. Um, who, he, he, he wrote a book called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Oh yeah, I've, I've heard of him, I think. Um, but actually, before you continue, uh, even the 97% the statistic is, is not actually accurate. It does not represent like 97% of scientists. It's like 97% of, uh, of papers 
but even then it includes papers that are just studying the effects of global warming, not necessarily saying that global warming is caused by any sort of thing. Like it's acknowledging its existence, but not actually s claiming it, uh, its origin. It could, like for example, a paper that's talking about how it affects uh, the, the ecosystem in waters, how the raising sea levels are, are affecting the ecosystem in waters, that would be counted into the 97%, even though that's not making a claim towards man-made fossil fuel uh, sort of thing. So even that statistic, which is thrown everywhere, is not actually accurate. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. It, yeah. it brought to mind um, an, another thing about that statistic. So I think there is, like I think Alex has, has said that there is broad agreement that there is there has been like a degree and a half or so mm -hmm. of increase in temperature i don't know over what time span um but to wh whether there is so whether there's global warming i don't think is controversial but whether there's catastrophic yeah global warming such that we need to massively restrict fossil fuels and totally, um, you know, that would hugely destroy our our standard of living and our way of life if we actually implemented some of the policies. Um, that's, I think that's the issue. Is there a catastrophic global warming such that we have to take dramatic measures in restricting our yeah. use of fossil fuels? That's what I don't think there is this 97% agreement yeah. about. And that's what Al, he has an article, um, for Forbes, I think it's it's called ninety. The ninety-seven percent claim is a hundred percent wrong, yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And he goes through this in more detail. Um, so look there to do it justice if you want to actually get the real, the scoop. Um, so yeah, the world it's the world is not going to end in twelve years. I don't believe that. It, you know, it's I think we're going to make it past twelve. I'm fairly confident. So I oh, hope so. I, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but that's to your point, like the catastrophic thing, and and people, uh, they are making it. There is a, a huge push to make it into a, a catastrophic thing, and it definitely can be. But um, yeah, something like twelve years is totally ridiculous in my opinion. There's, um, yeah, I think there's there's fear mongering is the word that comes to mind. And one of the things Alex talks about is how these climate models have failed to predict climate for decades. Mm. Like he's found predictions, not just him, but um, scientific models going back to like the 70s and 80s that had these um, disastrous scenarios um, projected and they just didn't come true. Yeah. So sh that should give us some pause in the current. Yeah. I mean, if it's the same people or an outgrowth of the same people who are putting forth these models, they haven't recanted their views and acknowledged the failures of the past models, should really, we really put much stock in the current dire predictions? That's the thing about like, uh, you know, science in general, is that it's, it's about... No it used to be global cooling, I think. <laughs> well, the, the, this scienti no scientist should ever say, this will happen. A scientist would say, based off of our understanding and the you know the current measurements and data that we have, this is what we think is happening or going to happen. But they ne never should say this is going to happen. 
you know, because it, there, there will always be some information that's missing that they don't know or whatever. And um, yeah, don't, don't, don't trust a scientist that claims in absolutes. Well, what it is they're claiming absolute about, I think, is also factors in here. Like, if it's something like the motion of Mars, mm. I mean, that's so regular. Mm -hmm. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we wouldn't have to hedge too much about like <laughs> we're pretty confident where when there's going to be an eclipse, and we yeah. can you know set up. Uh, I went to Portland to see the lunar the uh, solar eclipse oh, really? a couple of years ago, and you know scientists predicted that years. In advance, in advance. Yeah. but when you have something as complex as sure. the climate and you can't even get the weather exactly right no. <laughs> which is like a week away <laughs> and yet there's these dire predictions about the end of the world um in you know in the next decade or two yeah. um and you know just bringing also bringing to mind the the um the past failures of the models and the the politic politicization of this whole issue, I think there's good reason to be skeptical about a lot of um, the claims that are made. Um, so connecting it back to the issue of free speech, I think it's yeah. very important to um, you know, really take that seriously despite the fact that there might be some consensus. Um, it's important to um, keep people free to express their own views. Well, okay, let's tie it back into the self-interest thing. Yeah, we, okay. we went on quite a detour away yes. from selfishness. So, the, and about global warming too, because like the the world is getting warmer. Right? I'm sure it's still going. It's, yeah, still still recording. Okay, still recording. <laughs> Great. So the, you know the world is getting warmer, and and it's there's evidence that it's uh, humans are contributing to it. Um, so the problem with global warming, it's like the worst problem that humans can. Uh, be interacting with, right? Because if one one country can do all this work, right, and put all this money into doing it, but another country can just totally pollute the world, right? But the thing is, is that they they would still get the benefits from some other country, like the United States or Canada or other developed countries, uh, and so they may not need to put as much effort. Uh, but since they're self-interested. They don't really. They, well, if somebody else is going to do it, then why should I? You see mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, which, which is, uh, and it's, and it's such a, it's a long-term issue. Uh, you know, policymakers only last, you know, like four to something years um, in office, and they only think of the short term. And global warming would be a long-term issue. Um, you know, stuff like that. And so, if it comes when it comes to global warming. You know, self-interest is probably not a good thing in that in that instance, because of uh, you know, we'd rather think in short term. We we would rather have some other country bear the burden of of uh, clearing up their emissions and things like that. Um, and so, but okay, I already thought of a, a counterpoint. <laughs> uh, there is a huge push for for technology to to adapt to to these things. I mean, uh, Tesla is, and other electric cars are becoming more and more popular, even with the big automotive companies. Uh, there's even a way to, uh, recently, like Harvard scientists found a way to collect carbon dioxide from the air and turn it back into uh, gasoline, hmm. which would be, you know, 
not not every, the environmentalists won't be totally happy with that because uh, you're still going to be putting it back into the air. It's a it's a net neutral uh, uh, situation, but at least it's economical. At least it's that. Mm. Um, so, and one more thing about that is that whenever I talk to my dad about this, he he always says that he's not worried about it. And he, I don't know, he li used to live in San Diego in, in L.A. area. And he said, like, in the 70s, the smog in, in L.A. was awful. But then people said, okay, well, let's, let's try to get rid of this. And they actually put the effort in, and they actually got it done. And so he always used that as an example of, like, if, if, if we reach the limit and people are already at this limit, we're gonna we're gonna get it done. We're gonna fix it. The problem, yeah. Whether or not you, you know, believe if, if it's a problem to begin with, but I think it's real, and I think it is uh, it is uh, caused by humans. But to the degree of which, obviously, is, is the other question. Mm -hmm. So there's the, so you're raising the issue of like self-interest on this global kind of scale, where. The, if you've got this global issue, yeah. like global warming, yeah. does it make sense for countries, some countries, to hope the others mm -hmm. put forth more of the effort to fix this problem, yeah. uh, if and when there actually is a global kind of problem? Um, it's reminding me, rem reminding me of these prisoners' dilemmas. I don't know if mm. you've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like kind game of case. theory. Like, right? Should I hope that? the other guy bears the brunt of the the punishment so I can get away with doing less yeah um, is that the kind of situation kind of analogous but on a global scale that's going on some countries that's totally, hoping the other countries that's totally what's happening yeah yeah or the free rider problem maybe mm -hmm. if you've heard of that um, like why should I uh, if if taxes are voluntary as they would be under a, a purely capitalist system like I was saying before I, I think you should be able to keep the results of your own labor you shouldn't be forced to give them away through taxes yeah. to force to support any of these government programs and then people will say well then who's gonna uh, give any money we're just gonna be without a police force and without any the roads the roads <laughs> the private roads could never be such a thing um, so I guess if if that's kind of this this situation you're raising, mm -hmm. then I think there are there are counterexamples to show that people actually will contribute to an effort um, which they themselves could not um, achieve. Like uh, any volunteer army. Mm. So the the American Revolution was uh, fought by a voluntary army. If, if I have my historical facts corrected, yeah. it wasn't conscription. Yeah. Um, but they recognized the value of the, their freedom. Give me liberty or give me death. Mm -hmm. um, and to take less dramatic examples, um, I mean, anyone who donates money to a charity, who wants to support some cause, um, they know that they can't, I don't know, the Red Cross, if that's a good example, but they have these, say they, they go to, uh, you know, wherever the 
American soldiers are, if it's the American Red Cross, and they give them blood transfusions, and they have this massive operation. Well, no one person is going to support all of that, yet people do voluntarily choose to donate a few dollars, yeah. or depending on how wealthy they are, if they're more wealthy, they'll maybe they'll give more. But just empirically, I think there's evidence that people will donate to some cause which they individually um, cannot support entirely on their own. So I don't know that there actually would be a, a, um, a free rider problem, um, if that's the right term for it, like where you would not get some service at all because no one yeah. is willing to um, um, chip in. People actually do, and they do so in a self-interest. They feel good about it. I think often is the, they, they like doing it. They feel like they're part of helping some good cause. So there's a self-interested motivation. Um, money is not the only consideration. They're giving up some money, but spiritually they might feel good about con contributing to this cause. Um, and maybe something like that could, could happen on this global scale to deal with something like global warming. Um, assuming that was this catastrophic problem that nations had to deal with. Um, it can't go on forever with no one addressing the problem yeah. if if everyone wants to survive. So someone is going to have to um, take action. If that's reducing carbon emissions, let's say, then um, someone's going to have to do that or the whole ship is going to go down. Yeah, we're not inclined to just let ourselves die. You know, like uh, even like even with tensions the u.s and the soviet union and how close like nuclear war was uh imminent like neither side didn't want to didn't want to launch first you know? uh, i don't i don't think humans are are uh are inevitably going to kill themselves uh, whether it's global warming or nuclear whatever i think most that's that's right there might be some though that have a kind of death wish like I, yeah. kamikazes come to mind, or suicide bombers, suicide attacks. They know <laughs> that they're going to die. I mean, it's just, it's not like the normal soldier who just goes into war knowing there's a risk. Yeah. They go in with the intention, you know, I'm going to kill myself, and they know there's no hope of their survival. Although, going back to the religious afterlife yes. point, if they yes. think, you know, there's something better waiting for them, seventy-two virgins in, in heaven. Totally. Um, then, yeah, why wouldn't they? <laughs> you know, know, so that's self-interest. That's self-interest. Even if it's even if it's not true, that's still self-interest. Yeah, because they think it's true. Yeah, and that's what's motivating them. And, and they're doing something that you would consider to be bad. So, in that instance, yeah, self-interest is probably not very good. <clears throat> yeah, martyrdom in, in general. Uh, yeah, martyrdom, yeah, is another thing. It's. That, that can be amoral, kind of like uh, self-interest. Giving your life for some other bigger cause, well, maybe that cause isn't so great. Or maybe it is really great. I don't know. But it's a tool, just like self-interest. Yeah. So in itself, neither neither good nor bad, but yeah. depending on how it's used. Another one of those things, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we covered a lot of ground here, but that <laughs> yes. was great. I enjoyed it. Uh, was this one of your longer ones, or is this? Uh, this is the longest. I figured. I figured this was gonna be a longer one. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think it was worth. I, I intentionally made it that way. I, I mean, as it was 
because as it was going really well. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, we were hitting a lot of good topics. So totally. uh, why not just roll with it? Yeah. See where it goes. So glad we did it. Yeah. All right. All right. Good talking to you. Good talking to you too, man. Appreciate it, Dan. Yep. All right.